How many really believe that? That He's good all the time? He's good even when you're in your worst of times. God's still the same. Yesterday, today, and forever, God never changes. That ought to be comforting to the depths of your soul. That when our circumstances and our attitudes and our uh, environment, everything around us changes, we can count on God not changing. He's the constant in our lives. How many are glad that God is your constant this morning? A few of you. How many are glad that God is your constant in the house? Hallelujah. Well, we're still in our Job series this morning. Today's message is called, It's Not About Me. It's not about me. Let me ask you this morning, with that said, how many of you have ever seen a child throw a temper tantrum? We've all seen children throw temper tantrums. And why did they throw a temper tantrum in the first place? Because they weren't getting their way. Amen? Amen. They're just doing the same thing that we adults want to do when we don't get our way. Amen? We want to throw a temper tantrum, and sometimes it's not just wanting to, we do. How many, if you're a parent, remember the terrible twos? Anybody remember that? Remember before your child became two? You thought they were little angels? You were just rocking them in their cradle, rocking them in your arms. You were cooing in their face. You were uh, entertaining them uh, all the time, smiling, jabbering baby talk back to them. Then they hit two. All of a sudden they realize, hey, I'm not getting all the attention I used to get. This is not about me anymore. They get, shook, they get shook up, they get hung up, they get upset. Well, how many know that's kind of the same way it works with us as people, even full-grown adult people? Our Job series this morning is actually, or has been, on how to be blessed. How many want to know how to be blessed? How many want to know how you can be more blessed in your life? We're letting the scripture in Job chapter 42.12 lead the way. Uh, again, I'll say it, I read it every week. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. That's pretty amazing if you know what Job went through. The Lord blessed the last half of Job's life a whole lot more than he did the first part of Job's life. So in this series, we've talked about various things when it concerns how to be blessed. And today, we're going to talk about a big one. If you want to be blessed, you have to stop and realize that it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. Those four words can literally change your life when you get it deep down on the inside of your heart that everything that's going on is not about me. As a matter of fact, just so I drill it into your brains this morning, on the count of three, I want us to say, it's not about me. One, two, three. It's not about me. Say it again. It's not about me. Now turn to your neighbor and say, hey, it's not about you. <laughs> yeah, I knew you'd have way too much fun with that one. <laughs> Welcome to Victory Church, amen? How about birthday parties? Anybody remember that's my age, when you got invited to a birthday party, you took that child a gift, right? Because it was their special day. Fast forward to today, every kid that gets invited to the party not only brings a gift, but they get a gift, right? Because we don't want you to get upset. We don't want you to feel left out. And can you imagine, and I know, I've seen it happen, how expensive... That can be when everybody's buying presents for everybody else and they just keep rotating birthdays, pretty soon you run out of things to buy the kids, right? Because they've got everything uh, under the sun. It's kind of like, little Johnny, we know it's not your birthday. Uh, we know it's not your birthday, but just so you don't feel left out and get upset, here's a gift for you. 
Well, that's the way birthdays work now. That's the way our culture works. Do you realize that? That's the way our society works. But the reality is, in the bigger picture, it's not about us. It's not about us, physical or in the spiritual. In Job chapter 1 and 2, uh, it talks about how Job's life completely falls apart. And if you've been with us on, these, on this journey through this series, it really fell apart. I mean, Job's children die. His animals die. He loses his health. He loses his wealth. His marriage falls apart. Chapter 3, three so-called friends show up and they tear him apart verbally. But then God steps in in chapter 38 and has this to say, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? He says to Job, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. When I hear that, I'm guessing that Job's probably thinking, okay, God. I would imagine he's starting to get a little bit excited because he thinks God is going to let him know what he needs to do. Give him the answers to why he's in the problem he's in in the first place and give him the answers on how to get out. Not so much. Look at verse 4, what God says. He says in verse 4, Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Job's probably like, God, this has nothing to do with me or my problem, but I'm taking notes. Keep going. God continues, tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? I would imagine Job's like, God, this definitely has nothing to do with me or what I'm going through, but God doesn't stop there. He keeps talking. Verse 16, have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? I would imagine Job is probably like, God, no, I haven't journeyed to the springs of the sea, God. I'm in bed. I'm sick. I'm dying. I've got 24 IVs in me, God, and you're talking about all this. God keeps going. Verse 17, have the gates of death been shown to you? This probably registers with Job because he's saying, God, now I'm getting it. I'm looking at those gates right now. Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? God says, tell me if you know all this. I can picture Job, if he's not saying it, he's thinking it. I don't know a thing about what you're saying. I don't know a thing about all this going on that you're trying to say, God, I'm trying to get answers to my problem, and God, you're not even addressing my problem. I'm trying to get the answers I need to get out of my problem. You're not even acknowledging. God keeps going, verse 34. Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Job's probably like, say what, God? I just lost my family. I just lost my health. I just lost my wealth. And you're talking about a rainstorm. Verse 35, do you send the lightning bolts on their way, God says? Do they report to you and say, here we are? God just continues on. In chapter 39, verse 1, God says, do you know when the mountain goes to give birth, Job? It's probably, hold on, God. I'm going through the worst time in my life, and you're talking about mountain goats. This is crazy. God continues, do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? It's kind of like, no, God, I don't. That would be a little strange. That'd be a little bit weird. Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time that they give birth? God keeps going. They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labor pains are ended. Job's like, I don't know a thing about the labor pains of goats. Do you think God stops? No, God keeps going. Skip down to chapter 40, verse 15. No, chapter 4. I've skipped one there. Yeah, their young thrive and grow stronger in the wilds. They leave and do not return. Then God says in chapter 40, verse 15, Job, look at the behemoth. 
I'm thinking Job's probably saying, God, I don't even know what a behemoth is. Let me Google that one, God. Let me Wikipedia that and find out what that is. I'll get back with you. He says, look at the behemoth, Job, which I made along with you and which strength it has in its loins, what power in the muscles of its belly. Long story short, I could keep going because God kept going. But the point is, in Job chapter 38 and 39, God never addresses what's going on in Job's life. He never addresses the tragedies in Job's life. He never addresses the death of his children, the uh, uh, sickness that he's going through, disease he has or his wife, or his friends, or, or anything, any of his losses. He never addresses that. And I can see Job just thinking outside the box, sitting there taking notes as frantically as he can because he's looking for answers. And then it dawns on him, wait a minute. None of this and all of this has nothing to do with me. None of this has anything to do with me and what I'm going through, God. And if you look at this text, I believe God is basically saying that. He's saying, Job... It's not about you. He's saying, Job, this world is bigger than you are. My purposes, my plans are bigger than you. While you're over here worried about your problems, he said, I've got the entire world in my hands. I'm taking care of the mountain goats. I'm taking care of the uh, rainstorms. I'm taking care of the lightning. I'm taking care of the behemoth. I've got the entire universe in my hands. He says, Job, this world is a whole lot bigger than you, and it's not about you. So Job... If you want to get beyond your problem and you want to be blessed, if Job, you want to get beyond your problem, stop focusing on the size of your problem and start focusing on the size of your God. Stop focusing on the size of your problem and start focusing on the size of me, God says. And when you start focusing on the size of me and who I am, then your problem is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. smaller. Let me just say, if this was a key for Job to understand way back when, It's the same key today that we need to understand. No matter what you're going through now or what you've been through or what you're getting ready to go through, stop focusing on the size of your problem and start focusing absolutely on the size of your God. I believe if we could get this really down uh, in the depths of our hearts, that it's not about me, it's not about you, how blessed of a life could we live? Can you imagine how blessed it could be? Just think, Jesus was asked one time, uh, what was the greatest commandment? And keep in mind that at that time, they were having to follow like 600, they were trying to follow, like 613 different commandments and laws. Jesus breaks it down to two. What are the greatest commandments? He breaks it down to two in Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So love God first, amen? And then he goes on in verse 39 and says, And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So number one, love God. Number two, love others. He doesn't say, hey, the first and second commandment ought to be get obsessed with yourself. Love yourself. He says, if you want to be blessed, if you want to be blessed, then focus on loving your God first. Then loving others second. Because this world, believe it or not, is not about you. This world is not about me. It's about him. So I'm going to give you three things, if you're taking notes today, to focus on if you want to live a blessed life. And we already said most of us want to live a blessed life. Number one is the church. I believe God wants to use the local church to help us get past ourselves. Sometimes we need to get past ourselves. Sometimes we need to get past our own thinking. Sometimes we need to get our priorities in order. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, 
And on this rock, which is actually the confession that Jesus is the Christ, he said, on this rock I will build my church. Now, who does the church belong to? Do you remember? Jesus. I'll just help you out there. It belongs to Jesus, and he says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You know, when I think about you guys, and when I think about this church, I love my church. I love my church. And every chance I get to tell somebody about what God is doing in your lives and what God is doing with this church, it's not to brag or to boast, but I love my church. You know, I love my church. You know, a lot of people, they tell you they love a certain restaurant, they love a certain food, they love a certain movie, they love a certain sports team. And nobody thinks that's weird at all, but you let me get out there and say, I love my church, all of a sudden that pastor's a weirdo, amen? All of a sudden they think I'm weird, all of a sudden they think I belong to some kind of cult or something. The whole thing is, bottom line is, you should love your church that you're attending because Jesus loves your church that you're attending, amen? Because Jesus loved it so much that he gave his life on a cross for it. But let me ask you this, why do you love your church? Maybe you haven't even thought of that question. Why do you love your church? Is it because of what the church is doing for you? Is it? Is it because of what the church is doing for you, or are you letting it shape you for him and for serving others? Some people view the church, I'll just put it this way, as either a restaurant or a family. Restaurant or a family. To be a good restaurant, you have to have a couple of things. Good food, amen? You have to have good service. And I'll just go beyond that. You have to, get, you have, to have good Coca-Cola. The right calibration with the right carbonation, amen? I'm not saying McDonald's is a great... Well, Noah, close your ears. I'm not saying they're not a great restaurant, or they are a great restaurant, but they have great Coca-Cola. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> but if we're at a restaurant, don't we love to be served? How many love to be served? Isn't it a nice break sometime to be served? Yeah, we like to go to a restaurant to be served. Don't you love it when you finish your salad? All of a sudden, the main dish arrives. They put it piping hot in front of you on the table. Don't you love it that you don't have to worry about your glass going empty because when it gets half empty, they're there to fill it up. We love being served. Don't you love it that you don't have to take your plate to the kitchen when you're done? The waiter or the waitress does that because we love to be served. That's a restaurant. But when it comes to a family, when we eat at home, it's not like a restaurant. It's not about them serving us. It's about us serving each other, okay? I don't know how your home works, but at our home, when it comes mealtime, it's Austin's job to pull out these, uh, the knives, forks, and spoons, the napkins, the plates, put out the, uh, the dishes. It's my job to get out the cups, put ice in them, fill them with tea or lemonade or whatever we're having to drink. It's always Cheryl's job to cook because she's the best cook for sure. But then when we're finished eating, we all take our plates, rinse them off in the sink, put them in the dishwasher. We all help, and you know why we help? It's because a family serves each other. A family helps each other. I said all that about our natural families to say the church family is the same. And a church family that operates like a family is always going to be blessed. So my question is today, and get this down, do you view your church as a restaurant or do you view it as a family? When you walk in here on a Sunday morning, are you evaluating how well you're being served? Or are you evaluating what you can do for God and learn from God so you can reach out and serve others? You know, if you walk in here into this room and you're evaluating how well this service has treated you so far, let me just say you've got one problem. You think it's about you. And it's not about you. You should have realized that by now. And listen, if you don't have time to get involved with the church, it happens to be the thing that Christ gave his life for, devoted his life for, and to. If you don't have time to connect with the church and get involved in the church on some level, you're too busy. 
yeah, I'm trying to say that as nice as I can, but you're too busy. You need to make a priority shift a little bit, change your schedule around in different areas. But look what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you, I think that's all of us, amen? Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to do what? Serve others. Use whatever gift you have received, and that's from God, to, to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I would say the church is just one of the many ways that God equips us to serve others. But the church is one of the main ways. Because do you realize this, and maybe some of you don't, you're too valuable to sit on the sidelines. You're too valuable to just show up and go home and do nothing with it. Amen? Because we are a family. We're not a restaurant. We're a family. The second thing to focus on, if you want to live a blessed life, if you're taking notes, is the community. The community, I think, helps us understand in a very clear way when you serve your community that it's not about you anymore. It's not about me anymore. It's actually about God. It's about them. But I do believe, knowing this church the way I do, this church has a heart to serve our surrounding world, our surrounding communities. But church, think outside the box. What would it be like if this church would reach 500 more people, 500 more people, and have an impact on those people for Christ in the 21, believe it or not, we come from 21 different communities here, in the 21 communities that make up and represent this church and have an impact for them in their lives. Such an impact in their lives that they become Christ followers. Radically changed, radically transformed, sold out believers of God. What do you think our world around us would look like? I think we'd have a whole lot less crime. I'm thinking we would have a whole lot less bullying in school. I'm thinking we'd have a whole lot stronger marriages. I'm thinking we'd have a whole lot stronger families. I'm thinking we would have a whole lot more uh, better mentors for our kids to follow their example. I think it would change our whole world. Can you imagine what would happen if not only our church, but every church got on fire, 100% on fire for God? Because the truth is, it's not just what happens in here. Do you realize that? It's actually what happens out there. It's actually what we do with what happens in here that happens out there that makes the difference. It's what happens out there. God's not calling us, and never did, to isolate ourselves from our community. Do you realize that? He called us to connect with our community, to get involved with our community, have an impact in our community. And how do you do that? By serving your community. Look what Jesus says in John 17, verse 15. He says, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world. He's talking about his disciples initially. He says, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. I believe with all of my heart that God has called this church to have an impact on our community without a doubt, to make differences in our world around us. But how can we do that? I'll tell you how you do that. You get involved. You have to have a want-to to get involved. And if you're here today and you don't have that want-to, I've been there in my life, pray to get that want-to. Pray that God would put that want-to in your heart because we have opportunity after opportunity all around us to impact people that are hurting, families that are hurting in our life. And you know what it's going to take if we allow our hearts to be broken for what breaks God's heart and we start serving people like God has served us, like we start serving people like Jesus served us on the cross. If we give our all to the people around us, it's going to make eternal differences. And I'm not saying go out and invent, reinvent the wheel. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there are a lot of organizations that are great, fabulous organizations that are already out there doing great things for God. Maybe we can hook up with some of those. Maybe we can come alongside of those, and we actually have in a lot of ways. Maybe it's giving financially. Maybe it's funneling uh, helpers to help in volunteers uh, to help meet their needs. 
You know, there are organizations out there that are devoted to helping homeless people. There are organizations out there to helping people with domestic violence situations, uh, drug addiction, substance abuse. And let me just say, I know there are people sitting here today that you have a specific passion in your heart. Maybe it's been there a long time and you haven't done anything with you with it. Let me just encourage you, see me after church. We want to know about it. I want you to tell us. We want to get involved. We want to see if we can help you get involved. Or maybe you're aware of an organization that we haven't even thought of, we didn't know anything about yet, that's a good organization to hook up with. Come see me. But if you've been through something, maybe like a teen pregnancy, maybe it was a really hard time in your life, but you feel now that you're being called by God to help other young moms get through the difficulties that you've already been through, maybe that's your ministry, maybe that's your way to give back. There are so many different ways that we can help. Actually, in this church, we're presently trying to start a Celebrate Recovery program. Anybody ever heard of that program? It's an amazing program. We're going to try to get it started in the fall. It's actually a 12-step recovery program for anyone suffering any kind of hurt, any kind of pain, any kind of addiction. Celebrate Recovery is a place to find community and actually to find freedom from those things that are trying to control your life. We also hook up and help school, uh, schools with, local schools with school supplies. We give to the backpack programs. We give to the weekend feeding programs. And I'm not saying this to boast at all. That's not the point of this. The point is to let you know we're trying to get involved with programs that are already working to actually serve the needs in our community. We help in those school supplies. We help by giving Thanksgiving baskets and Christmas baskets to the needy. We help in giving money to the Embraer River Basin over in Tuscola that helps a community-wide, a county-wide area with their bills, with their foods, with their needs. We've contributed money to local people going through really hard times, maybe the death, tragic death of a loved one, maybe um, different losses, maybe the expense of a long-term illness. We try to jump in there and help any way we can. We help with the Murdoch Food Pantry. We help struggling families within our own body. If you're struggling and you're having problems, don't be afraid to tell me about it. We want to help in any way we can. The whole thing about this whole thing that I'm saying is God didn't create us to be a church that is obsessed with seeding capacity. He called us to be a church obsessed with sending capacity. Amen? Oh yeah, I want every church, every seat in this church to be filled because that means more seats to send, more people to send to serve Christ. So this church is not about us. God told me that a long time ago. It's not about me. And if you know anything about me, it's definitely not about me, it's about God. The third thing about uh, being a, living a blessed life is focus on the world. The world, I thought the Bible says no. Well, listen to how I present it. Jesus said this, and it's not a suggestion. It's a commandment in Mark 16, verse 15. He said to them, go into all the world. Did he say all the world? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Do you realize when he first said this, he was telling this to his 10 dis 12 disciples? Do you realize the limited resources that they had? They didn't have automobiles back then. They didn't have cars back then. They didn't have computers back then. They didn't have Facebook, Twitter. They didn't have emails back then. They were so limited on their resources. You talk about an overwhelming commandment. He said, go into all the world. They didn't even know all the world existed yet. But if he told those 12 guys with their very limited resources to go and do what they did, and by the way, they did some amazing things because within 350 years after God got things started, they had converted half of this world over to Christianity. That's pretty amazing. 
So if Jesus told them 2,000 years ago to do what he told them to do with the limited resources they had, can you imagine what he's expecting from us with the unlimited resources we have today? I think he's calling us definitely to get out there and do more. And I'll just say a whole lot more. I believe he's calling us to do a whole lot more, and we're out there doing more. We're going to realize without a doubt, hey, wait a minute. Now I see. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not about me. It's about him working through me to serve others. You know, there are other areas of ministry that we support on a monthly basis here at the church. One is Samaritan's Purse. Anybody ever heard of Franklin Graham's organization? For seven, since 1970, they've been serving uh, the world with the love of Jesus Christ, helping in uh, times of war, poverty, natural disasters, disease, famine, sharing the gospel of Christ, but not only sharing the gospel, the spiritual part, feeding the poor, helping the poor, a great organization. Month after month, we support them. Hope for Justice is another. Their thing is actually setting people free from sex trade trafficking, which is rampant all over this world, rescuing people out of this horrific situation. We also support Convoy of Hope. It's a faith-based um, nonprofit organization that have helped hundreds of millions of people around the world sharing food, sharing resources, sharing emergency supplies, agricultural know-how, giving opportunities to empower people to live lives that are free from disease, free from poverty, free from hunger. Life Outreach is another one. Anybody heard of James and Betty Robinson? I love that couple. They are digging wells for life, water for life. They have, that's one of their main projects. They have dug like 6,000 wells to this point, bringing water to people that were actually dying from the water they were drinking. 6,000 wells. They've also got a Christmas shoe project that we've been able to be a part of where they're trying to put shoes on the feet of, of children all over this world that have never, ever owned a pair of shoes. Some of them never have worn a pair of shoes. So they're doing a great work. In fact, I've got a short video clip that I want you to look at because it encourages me to know that we, even though we're here, can be a part of what they're doing there. Take a look real quick. Hallelujah. 
I don't know about you, but that encourages me. That encourages me to think that we can be a part of what's going on way over there, and we don't even have to leave our area. But we can be involved with what's going on over there. But you know, every time I think about all the suffering in this world, when I think about the horrendous suffering going on, I think, God, it's got to stop. God, something's got to be done about it. How can we be a part of doing something about it? Well, we are. We're already hooking up with Water for Life programs. We're already hooking up with Convoy of Hope, uh, Hope for Justice. We're already hooking up with those that are out there aiding and helping. But sometimes we get so hung up on what's going on around here, and we, we live in central Illinois, so far away from distant lands that are suffering horrendous, terrible things in their lives, that sometimes we think, well, we just need to focus around here. Well, you're right. The Bible says start at home, but it says you can't turn a blind eye to globally. You can't turn a blind eye to worldly. That's why we've hooked up with all those other organizations. You remember what Jesus said? He says, I came not to be served, but I came to serve. And if Jesus, and that was his attitude, if he says, I came not to be served, and he was the almighty king of kings and lord of lords, prince of peace, if he says, I didn't come here to be served, I came to serve. If that's his attitude, shouldn't that be our attitude? Shouldn't that be our attitude? And let me just tell you, you don't even have to look across the world. You can look next door where you live. You can look next to you where you're seated today. You can look all around you, maybe where you're working, where you're going to school, and see the needs. I'm praying that this message that I believe is born out of the book of Job will help you and I to see our world in a whole different way. That we will be more aware of the needs on our left, on our right, in front, behind. That we'll be looking for the opportunities of how we can serve. Let me ask you today, do you have a heart for ministry any of, in any of these areas I've mentioned, or maybe even more, to get involved? I want you to tell me. Come and see me. Help us help you get connected. And help Victory Church to make a difference, because it is definitely not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. I believe Job learned these lessons going through his suffering. And I'll say because of his suffering. He learned that it wasn't about him. It was about what God was doing. And God was doing something a whole lot bigger. A whole lot more powerful. So if you're going through a crisis right now, just trust God. God's doing something a whole lot bigger. He's doing a whole lot more powerful things with what you don't even, can't even imagine. Cool. So this morning, I'm going to ask you, what's God been speaking into your heart as I've been preaching? As I said, I hope, it, I hope it changes my attitude. I hope it changes your attitude. Could you stand to your feet this morning? How about looking for those ways to get involved? You know, I'm looking forward to praise reports upon how I got involved, how you got involved, how we got involved and made a difference for Jesus Christ. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray you'd give us a revelation. I pray you'd give us a realization that our lives, these gifts you've given to us as our lives, aren't really for us and about us. In the bigger picture, God, it's about you. It's about letting you work in and through us to bless you, first of all. To love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love others as ourselves, to bless others. Father, I pray that you would give us servants' hearts. The same heart that Jesus had that says, I came not to be served, but to serve, that reflects your love and compassion to the world around us. Father, I pray that this little bit that we've heard for 25 minutes now would bring a 
greater awareness of needs all around us so that you would receive even more glory for everything that we do. May all praise, glory, and belong to you because it's not about me, God. It's not about them. It's about you. Keep it about you today and forever in our hearts, in our minds, and in our church. We give you thanks, we give you glory, and we give you praise. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said, Amen. I think Jesus deserves a little bit of praise for this this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. You are so good. Go out and have a blessed week, everyone. Make a difference.